Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, of now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. Now, as you plan your summer travel, make sure that your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Now, you can get unlimited talk and text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile for the exact same service. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, make the switch today. Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Are you being influenced? Well, if you watched the blockbuster film in the last decade, well, then there's a chance it has been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Now, here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. Now, in Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, well, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free when you go to the website, hollywoodtakeover.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. All right, glad you're with us, and happy Tuesday. And write down our toll-free telephone number if you want to be a part of this extravaganza, 800-941-SEAN. You know, I can't believe sometimes, I remember I once years ago interviewed an inventor, and this guy actually believed, and it was a fascinating concept to me, and you know, if you go back to the early part of the last century, there was actually a moment in time where the patent office was going to shut down. And their thought and their imagination was everything that can be created um, has been created. And then there's going to be no new discoveries here um, at all as it relates to, um, you know, as it relates to everything. Uh, I hang on a second. We're getting a distracting email that I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. All right. So anyways, if they, the patent office says they have nothing else to, to discover, which is insane. You know, this is I may have even been before the automobile was discovered before, certainly before rockets that would take us to the moon. You think of how hard and what what an imagination the human mind and soul has that they're going to look up at the moon and there's going to be people with the audacity that say, we're going to not only fly from here to there and then we're going to land it and then we're going to fly back. You know, obviously before jet travel, before airplane travel and before everything else. Um, I, this makes it really hard. Just saying. OK, but, fine. I'm leaving the room. No, no, no. I'm just making a point. Linda is in there distracting the heck out of all of us. 
Um, but you think about, you know, the imagination of the human spirit, our ability to endeavor is incredible. Now we're talking about landing at Mars one day and talking about the environment there. Um, it's just incredible when you really think about what we are capable of and how, you know, in, in spite of a lot of evil that we always talk about, there's a lot of goodness in humanity and there's goodness in the human soul and there's greatness in people. And I know we go through these times and there's so much negativity and so much politics and and such a lack of imagination, especially in news media, that they're all sheep and they all regurgitate the same talking points and talk about themselves constantly. You know, every once in a while, you think outside the box and phenomenal things can happen. You know, I'm watching today the president of the United States with President Macron And what is he doing? He's talking about the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. What an amazing thought. And he's doing it in a way that everybody in the media said would start a nuclear war between the two countries. And he did it by being confrontational. And he did it by being honest and truthful and mocking little Rocketmon. You know, if you do it in the Elton John fashion, little Rocketmon. Uh, you know, one of the biggest hit songs ever. But think about this. And then he said, my red button's bigger than your red button and our red button works. And then he showed military force by by creating in the Korean Peninsula, literally creating a military environment where little Rocketmon knew that, in fact, there were going to be, you know, American missiles headed in his direction if he kept trying to fire these missiles over Japan and threatening Guam and threatening the rest of the, the region. And lo and behold, then he wants to get in the Olympics out of nowhere. And then lo and behold, Mike Pompeo, who's going to be a great Secretary of State, I've always been a fan of his, Mike Pompeo's out there, you know, meeting when nobody else knows it, and now we have a chance, maybe not, maybe it doesn't come to fruition, but it's certainly, but the media, they believe in capitulation. The policies of appeasement. You know, when Bill Clinton decided to bribe Kim Jong-un's father with billions of dollars in energy aid, he really thought that that bribery worked. He believed the despots. He believed the dictators. He'd never learned the lessons of history. He goes before the American people. This is what he says. Before I take your questions, I'd like to say just a word about the framework with North Korea that Ambassador Gallucci signed this morning. This is a good deal for the United States. North Korea will freeze and then dismantle its nuclear program. South Korea and our other allies will be better protected. The entire world will be safer as we slow the spread of nuclear weapons. South Korea, with support from Japan and other nations, will bear most of the cost of providing North Korea with fuel to make up for the nuclear energy it is losing. And they will pay for an alternative power system for North Korea that will allow them to produce electricity while making it much harder for them to produce nuclear weapons. The United States and international inspectors will carefully monitor North Korea to make sure it keeps its commitments. Only as it does so will North Korea fully join the community of nations. Now, that never worked. That never happened. That never came to fruition. And American money was wasted. The same thing. I'm listening to President Macron of France and, and the president, our president, you know, talking about the Iranian deal. And this president, well, the dumbest deal in the history of mankind. 
giving $150 billion in cash and other currencies, you know, flying in cargo planes full of cash and other currencies, $150 billion, and allowing the Iranian mullahs to continue to spin their centrifuges is mind-numbing. These are the people chanting death to America. These are the people that were chanting death to Israel. These were the people that have been killing Americans in Iraq and fighting proxy wars in the name of Islamic extremism. You know, these are the same. Why would you ever, you know, unless you bow and get on your knees, the liberal media is never going to believe that peace is possible. Well, now they're talking about a plan B. Who knows with Iran? I think there needs to be some type of change and, and revolution in the country. The problem for the, the citizens of Iran that live under oppression is you don't win uh, revolutions with slingshots when you have Qud forces and the Iranian Revolutionary Guard forces. You can't win them that way. But all of this is predicated on, you know, two different models that exist in recent memory. You know, remember the meeting in Munich and... The prime minister of Great Britain at the time, Neville Chamberlain, meeting with Hitler and the, the promise and the pledge, we now have peace in our time. The settlement of the Czechoslovakian problem, which has now been achieved, is, in my view, only the prelude to a larger settlement in which all Europe may find peace. This morning, I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler. And here is the paper which bears his name upon it as well as mine. Some of you perhaps have already heard what it contains, but I would just like to read it to you. We. The German Führer and Chancellor and the British Prime Minister have had a further meeting today and are agreed in recognizing that the question of Anglo-German relations is of the first importance for the two countries and for Europe. We regard the agreement signed last night and the Anglo-German naval agreement as symbolic of the desire of our two peoples Never to go to war with one another again. That was, there was another figure on, on the scene. And when that peace never emerged, because the appeasement policies of Chamberlain didn't work, thank God the hero of Great Britain was a man by the name of Winston Churchill. By the way, like Donald Trump, not a perfect person. He drank a lot. He smoked a lot of cigars, was not a, and had a had a horrible short temper. Uh, poverty, war, blood, toil, sweat, and tears. See, I do all these things that you guys never know about. Yeah, I want to talk about the why always the Trump crime family. I don't know why the Corleone crime family. Why don't we ever talk about the Clinton crime family? I don't. I have no idea why any of that. It makes you laugh. Blood, oil, sweat, and tears. I actually I don't have... know how you get that tremble in your yeah. voice. I don't either. I have no idea. You know, um, the best one I think I do is Levin, and it got better because Rich Little taught me something about Mark. He goes, 
And I'm going to say, nobody else will say it. I'll say it there. I said it. But that end part where you slow down, little, because I would only do the fast part. And then when you, that's what I'm talking about. We were watching Rich Little the other day, just looking at some of like his impersonations. They were incredible. Oh, he's amazing. And, And it was, well, Mr. Karbachev, tear down this wall. Um, Pretty good. I know. I still think my Clinton's the best. No, it's not. <laughs> I want to say hi to all the hot chicks from Arkansas. Out there yeah, I, 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 know, in Arkansas. I know that joke. Back up, you creep. <laughs> Get away from me. I have no idea. Well, anyway, so appeasement didn't work in modern times with North Korea and Kim Jong-il and Clinton. It didn't work with bribing the dictators in Iran. It didn't work in World War II. But look at the look at history. Look at what Winston Churchill, the bombing of Britain. He was out every single day amongst the people every day and walking amongst them in the bombing of, of Britain. An incredible sign of strength showing he's with them and he's he's standing there with them. Then you've got Ronald Reagan challenging Gorbachev to tear down this wall, saying it was an evil empire. And he said this at that wall. Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. (laughs) Mr. Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. His own aides never wanted, the liberals said at the time that he was going to start World War III. He was a California cowboy. And that World War III was going to ensue. It never happened. Now little rocket man is going to sit down at the table. Now the president gets the president of China. His relations with foreign leaders is unbelievable. You can see it with President Macron today. Um, Macron today, I'm sorry, my French is not like yours, Miss World Traveler over there. You could see it with President Macron today. You could see it with, you know, it's the same book, Peace Through Strength Works. Appeasement doesn't work. Bribing dictators doesn't work. And you can see it in the media. They, they react the same way. If you're not willing to bribe, get on your hands and knees and kiss rings and beg they get fearful and make insane predictions about nuclear war. And yet it's their policies of appeasement that make us less safe. Look at the president with, you know, China, Japan, North Korea, the Saudis, the Egyptians, the Jordanians. You know, look at the, the that's just the foreign policy. Nobody ever hears about it because all you hear about Stormy. And all you hear about is, is Russia, Russia, Russia. All right, we'll get back to all of this. Uh, And I want to tell you, I have to go back to the simple fundamental point I was going to make, which is, you know, Hillary Clinton's deleted emails may exist. I'll explain that when we get back. 800-941-SEAN. All right, so this is now breaking. Uh, We have Fox 5, I guess, in D.C. Um, I'm looking at you looking at these images. Apparently, four pedestrians were injured. Car jumped over a curb following... I guess there was an accident, so the car swerved. Is that what you're... Yeah, it's a two-car collision, and one of them just, like, swerved to get out of the way in the middle of the accident, but he jumped up on the curb, and then 
ended up hitting pedestrians on on the uh, on the sidewalk. Initially, they thought it was two people, but so far, four people have been taken to the hospital. Nobody has been hurt in the car, only the people on the sidewalk from what the early reports are saying. And supposedly one of the pedestrians was pinned underneath the car, but bystanders all joined together to lift the car up off of that person. So that person got away with a lot less injuries than they would have had. Uh, okay. You know, really scary, especially in light of what happened in Toronto yesterday. Um, you know, later in the program, you know, sometimes and the whole this got me started. I did not plan on the monologue that I started the program with here today. Um, but it really is true that when you look at the president's relationship with Japan and China, uh, you know, would it really be such a bad thing if he can get Russia to stop p- pulling all the crap that they pull that Devin Nunes and others warned about that Obama never, ever dealt with, you know, as it relates to influencing our elections and these robot computer people trying to sow chaos? You know, they did that with Laura Ingram. They had bots sending out for Laura and against Laura just to create, you know, contentious debate and and fighting within America. It's unbelievable. Anyway, so sometimes you miss fundamentals. And, you know, as we have talked and broken every news story in the last year, and now we see the result of this hard work by this team that we talk about every day and Sarah Carter and and Greg Jarrett and Tom Fitton and and Sebastian and I can't David Schoen and um, all these great people that have been involved. And I'm not picking favorites here. I just can't remember everybody. What have we learned? We learned that Hillary Clinton got away with felonies. We learned that James Comey and deep state actors protected her and they rigged an investigation. And then we learned that there was Russia collusion. Hillary paid for it by funneling money through a law firm and and getting a foreign national to get, you know, all of this, these Russian lies to influence the American people. Then we learned FISA courts are lied to and purposeful omissions, and then surveillance and unmasking, all of that. And I forgot the fundamentals. Where are the 33,000 emails? You know, there is a chance that they may still be there. There are 72,000 emails that the State Department has never handed over. And I was reminded of this today, and we're going to have Congressman Ron DeSantis and Larry Kawa on the program because we're trying to get them. All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. The Justice Department has finally turned over to Congress thousands of pages of documents on the FBI's cover-up of the Hillary email server scandal. The Hill is reporting now, which may shed a lot more light on James Comey's decision to exonerate Clinton before investigating Clinton and so many other travesties. Now, remember, they have 1.2 million documents that we're ultimately looking for. So you have two House GOP members, chairman, uh, announcing they finally struck a deal with the DOJ about producing documents for their joint investigation into the FBI's decision making during the 2016 presidential race. Now, the two men that deserve credit, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Bob Goodlatte, House Oversight and Government Reform Committee Chairman Trey Gowdy, they offered no details about the agreement. They said that they reached with the Assistant Attorney General Stephen Boyd and the U.S. Attorney John Lausch, who was appointed earlier this month to oversee Congress's request for the documents. But the two lawmakers expressed satisfaction that they would get what they needed. And literally, they said the committees have reached an agreement with the Department of Justice to access the documents that we have been requesting for months. Why do they always push it to the last second here? Why is it always pushed to the very end? Anyway, we look forward to reviewing the information for a better understanding of the decisions that were made by the Department of Justice in 2016-2017. 
Now, the House Judiciary, House Oversight and Government Reform Committees are jointly investigating, you know, the Justice Department and the FBI's handling of the probe in the Hillary Clinton's email server and potential surveillance abuses. You know what the amazing thing is, is all the while, you know, the media has been stuck on their phony narrative about Trump, Russia collusion, Trump, Russia collusion, stormy, stormy, stormy. We've been actually breaking real news on a regular basis here on this program. And the news that, you know, everything that we're saying is absolutely true. Now, um, everything that we now have said is coming to fruition. Why do you think Comey's in trouble? Why do you think all these criminal referrals took place last week? Why do you think? Because everything we've been reporting to you is absolutely right, dead on target. And it's just a shame that it, it is, they have slow walked every single solitary issue and every paper and every document for the very purpose of, of not being transparent. You know, that's why you had Rod Rosenstein literally on his own, you know, single-handedly trying to prevent what became the Nunes memo from ever seeing the light of day because he was begging Paul Ryan to defy the House Committee Chairman, Devin Nunes, and not hand over the documents. It's unbelievable. By the way, North Korean nuclear site is racked by a, uh, earthquake aftershocks. This is interesting in light of all the news we're following. Um, you know, there's no doubt North Korea's pledge to end nuclear testing maybe is major good, good news, but it may be turning out they have no choice because apparently they conducted their last nuclear test in September 2017, and the test site is still experiencing troubling seismic activity, according to the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty Organization. That's a pretty interesting development. Never heard that before. Um, you know, I guess that goes to the idea that, yeah, we are way ahead of the curve on all of this technology, all of, these, all of this weaponry here. You, uh, all right, let's get to some busy phones here. A lot of you have been really patient. Scott is in Corpus Christi, Texas. What's up, Scott? How are you, sir? Glad you called. Oh, I'm glad that you took my phone call. Uh, people keep talking about how Comey was trying to protect Hillary, and, and I don't believe that. I really think that he was trying to protect President Obama and the administration. Because if you look back over time, uh, you reported once before that Obama's phone had to be specifically uh, altered or pre-programmed to accept the illegal server and the emails from Hillary. And you got to ask what's on the, that server. Well, they were communicating about Benghazi for a year they were saying that they needed help, and they did nothing. It wouldn't surprise me if you actually saw the aftermath, the emails about how they were lying to the uh, families, to their faces, about how it was a video when, in fact, it really was a raid. If you think about Uranium One. I'm listening. Are you there? Did we lose them? Without a proof. Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Say that again because we lost you for a second. You cannot sell or uh, get rid of strategic reserves without approval from the cabinet, which goes all the way to the president. So I don't – and if you look at uh, Comey's book, he waxes poetically about Obama. So I don't believe when you look at today's FBI how aggressively they went after Manafort, how effectively they went after Cohen, seizing everything, that they sat on their heels for weeks and did nothing with Hillary, allowing her to bleach at that server. It really, in my opinion, if they ever get a hold of that thing, will shed light. Well, I doubt there are 33,000 emails. I doubt tremendously that there's 33,000 emails that dealt with yoga 
a wedding, a funeral, and emails to Bill. So we all know that that was a lie from the get-go. You know, Ed Henry's infamous question now, uh, did, you, did you wipe the server clean? You mean like with a cloth? Is did that you what wipe you, the server? What, like with a cloth or something? I don't know. I, I mean, that, that is so Clintonian, that answer. You know, I found a quote of Rudy Giuliani's from, you know, just before the election. And Rudy Giuliani had said at the time, uh, I've never seen so much evidence. And he's a former prosecutor against any one person as we have against Hillary. Not ever. All right. Back to our phones. Lorna. Is it Lorna uh, in Washington State, I believe. How are you? Glad you called. Hi, I'm good. I'm good. It's good to talk to you, Sean. I hope you're having a great day. Today. I'm having a great day. How are you? Glad you called. Well, I was listening to your program while I was driving a few minutes ago, and you were talking, I heard you talk about the um, Neville Chamberlain thing, and then you went talked about Winston Churchill, and you mentioned that uh, Winston Churchill spoke very slowly. Yes, he did. Yes. Well, the reason he did that was because he was a stutterer. Oh, I didn't. Was he really? I didn't even know that. Yes, he was. Yeah. I think we have. I think we have some audio. Let me play it for people. Uh, this is audio of Winston Churchill because Jason was doing a deep deep dive on this. Let's listen. Hope that any of my friends and colleagues, or former colleagues, who are affected by the political reconstruction, will make all allowances for any lack of ceremony with which it has been necessary to act. I would say to the House, as I said to those who have joined the government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask what is our policy? I will say it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might, with all the strength that God can give us, to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark and lamentable catalogue of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word, victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory there is no survival. Let that be realized. No survival for the British Empire. No survival for all that the British Empire stood for. No survival for the urge and impulse of the ages that mankind will move forward towards its goal. But I take up my task with buoyancy and hope. I feel sure that our cause will not be suffered to fail among men. At this time, I feel entitled to claim the aidable. And I say, come then, let us go forward together with our united strength. Victory at all costs, he said, in spite of all terror. And, um, you know, no matter how hard and long it will be, blood, toil, tears, sweat. He doesn't sound like that to me, Lorna, but maybe I, I remember well, the, the King's speech. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was a great speech. Well, no, he used a technique to prolong his speech so that he wouldn't stutter. 
And so that's why his speech sounds like that. Look, you know, Churchill's probably a great example. Think of he was the right man in the right place with the right moral clarity at the right time. You know, um, and I would say Reagan the same thing. I would say Prime Minister Netanyahu has been, how many times have I said he's the only adult on the world stage? And and you know what? You, you look at the personalities of, say, a, a Churchill. You know, we don't elect, we're not electing pastors here. But in troubled times, you want strong, principled, moral, clarity leadership. And knowing right from wrong and being willing to take a tough, strong stand, knowing that peace through strength is a principle that works and works effectively and that weakness yeah. incurs further aggression. By the way, did you ever see the movie The King's Speech with um, Colin Firth yes, played the uh, yes. future King George VI in that movie? Yes, I did. Um, there was a case. He, was a, he had a, a terrible stuttering problem, and then as, as he got coached through that, it was really amazing to me to see that uh, happen. You know. Well, it it is, and it's a, it's amazing to be able to do that. I'm a retired speech therapist, and yeah. and I've been able to help stutterers like that. So good for um, you. Anyway, I, but and you know what? Like to... For some people, it's a terrible embarrassment, and they shouldn't be embarrassed about it. It's no. it's. I don't think you know. It's very funny. Um, sometimes I'll speak to schools. I I do it very quietly, and I. I will always point out, I'll ask students sometimes, how many of you are terrified at the idea of speaking before the public or doing anything, any public speaking of any kind? It is the number one fear people have. And I've figured out my own little ways to kind of help people uh, when I see they're struggling with that. Uh, There's a very close friend of our family's, and one day I was hosting, it happened to be about tennis of all things, and I was hosting a, a panel, and Nick Boliteri was on it. You give Nick the microphone, he never stops talking, and he's a great guy. You like him. Anyway, and I could tell that this person who was one of the top tennis players, I won't say who, he had a very hard time with public speaking. And so what I did is immediately I recognize it because I interview people, and I have for 30 years. First thing I did, well, let me say it another way, because instead of him just giving a speech when he was struggling so badly, uh, you know, why would let the guy be embarrassed? I jumped in and I started asking questions and I started making eye contact. And what I've also found is, you know, people have sat on the set of my television show and in this radio studio and they're shaking. And one of the things you do because they're kind of lost in their head and all it's sort of like thoughts create feelings and feelings create thoughts and thoughts create more feelings and more thoughts and more feelings, more thoughts. And it's like a big anxiety attack that they're having. One of the things I'll do, I'll walk over to them and I'll like, I'll like hit them on the back extra, a little extra hard, uh, like uh, just to shock them. Immediately they're out of their head and they're not thinking about, um, I just broke up the thought feeling process in that second. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yes, it does. And it works. I'll never forget. Yeah. I got in trouble for this. I was down. Remember the Terry Schiavo case, right? Yes. All right. So I was down in Florida for a week when that happened years ago. Anyway, my satellite was up and a nurse that had taken care of Terry Schiavo at one point was scared to death, shaking. Alan was in New York. It was Hannity and Combs at the time. And this poor woman was shaking. And she she literally what, what, what do I say? I literally say that when we have like a minute to go here. So I have to work fast. And I said, just tell them your story. 
Now, the media picked up the satellite feed and said, Hannity's telling her what to say. All I said was tell her your story. Mm-hmm. And but what I did in that case is like I shook her hand and I like shook it hard, you know, not to hurt anybody, oh. obviously. But right. but I saw that like it shocked her. And then I said to her, look in my eyes, look at my eyes like loud. And then I said, focus on me. Don't look in the camera. And it worked. And she did a great job. But it's not easy for people that don't do it every day. And that is a real well, that, fear that people have. That and, was great coaching that you gave her because one of the things that we teach stutterers is eye contact, too. The other thing you can do is put your hands together and, and sort of, you know, one hand, feel the warmth of your hands or, or literally shift your attention from one finger to another or just grab your pinky, then grab the next finger and the next just consciously because this way you can't do mentally, you can't do two or three things at once and then all of a sudden it relaxes you. And then once you get That's the right. first words out of your mouth, you, you'll begin to say, I like this. And then you become a ham That's like right. me and then you take my job over. That's how it works. <laughs> That's great advice, Hannity. All right. Well, thank you. God bless you. Uh, we appreciate all that you're doing. And that was a great story that you told. I didn't know that about Winston Churchill. What? You've seen me do this. I have. It works. Uh, by the way, you know what the headline is going to be tonight in The Guardian? Sean Hannity grabbed a woman's hand, squeezed a woman's hand and hurt her. I thought it was that you were practicing ninja on your guest backs. Yeah, that's true, too. That'll, that'll come out in any minute now. As we roll along, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. Looks like we're getting closer and closer and closer to the Obama administration as it relates to all of these matters involving the deep state, involving the FISA warrants, involving looking into the Trump campaign, the Trump transition, involving, you know, what were they involved in as it relates to helping Hillary get off the hook. FISA warrants, FISA courts being lied to. We'll get into all of that next. And where are the Hillary emails and investigation? Secretary Clinton's emails were backed up on a cloud uh, by Datto Inc. And they're now subject to an order by U.S. District Judge Moss in a case by, by Judicial Watch. My question is, why did the FBI not search the data, Datto device in its possession for Hillary's deleted email? I believe decisions made in the course of the Clinton email investigation are all the subject of the why, Inspector General's you know why review. Why the, the FBI didn't disclose that such device was in its possession? I don't know the answer to that. Okay. All right. Now, that was an exchange with the FBI Director Christopher Wray and Ron DeSantis. Uh, hour two, Sean Hannity Show. Write down our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. It's 800-941-SEAN if you want to join us. You know, it's pretty amazing. I'll, I'll never forget. I found this quote of Rudy Giuliani's back in November before the election. He said, I've never seen a single case with as much evidence uh, against one person as in the case of Hillary Clinton. And he was right then and he's right now. And a lot of the deep dive we have been doing in the last year is all predicated on the fact that Hillary Clinton was didn't want congressional oversight. She decided to violate 18 U.S.C. 793, put her personal emails and her work emails on a mom-and-pop shop server in a bathroom closet that we now have confirmed that many foreign intelligence agencies were able to hack into. And then when she was getting caught and they were subpoenaed, well, she ended up deleting 33,000 of them, claiming that they were about yoga, a wedding, a funeral, 
and emails to Bill Clinton, who doesn't use email. And then to make for good measure, they acid wash the hard drive. Nobody knew what bleach bit was until this particular case. And then they broke up devices with hammers, or one of her aides did. And that led to, of course, Comey and and Peter Strzok writing an exoneration before investigating. Peter Strzok ends up being the guy, the Trump hater that he is, that interviews Hillary Clinton. And the question remains, where are those deleted, acid-washed emails? Do they exist? Well, joining us now is Larry Kawa and gubernatorial candidate, Congressman Ron DeSantis of Florida. Uh, oh, full disclosure, who I want to be the next governor of the state of Florida, uh, here to talk about this. Are these emails, Congressman DeSantis, are they, have we recovered them? Do we have them? Well, we have reason to believe that we are, and, I, and I've been working with Larry on this. Um, Judicial Watch has been very involved in it, and as you've pointed out on your show multiple times about uh, these uh, emails were subpoenaed by the Congress in March of 2015, and then by the end of the month, rather than turn over all the emails to the Congress, they bleach bit uh, the emails. So they turned over some, but, but thousands and thousands of them were bleach bit, um, and I've always wondered what were in those bleach bit emails does it show more classified information maybe does it show her involvement with the clinton foundation and some of the things they were doing but the bottom line is we need to get those emails and then we also need to figure out why the fbi uh didn't pursue the emails i mean they didn't really pursue anything in her case so i guess it's par for the course but maybe the inspector general will uh, will weigh in on that yeah larry kawa what have you and your organization discovered well, in mid-2016, it came to my attention online, of all things, that Platte River Networks had asked Datto, a cloud-to-cloud uh, a data protection company in Connecticut, to, uh, to do an off-site backup of all of Hillary Clinton's emails in their servers. Uh, you know, their servers are just their own cloud. And subsequent to that, by the way, that was in, uh, in, in June of, of 2013, five, five months after she, she left as Secretary of State. And it surprised me that nobody had asked for for this uh, this Datto device that contained everything, and bear in mind, Datto got this uh, without Bleachbit. This this was uh, separate from Bleachbit. This was un- undestroyed, perfectly preserved emails, texts. Well, uh, hang on, let me let me slow everybody down. So, Platte River sure. Networks, that was the mom and pop shop that I always describe. That's where right. they had a server, I guess, in a bathroom closet. We're told, or as has been reported, and right. all of the, and. And if I understand it correctly, it was that company that used the bleach bit, correct? That is correct. But in fact, it was Paul Combetta that used bleach bit. Now, this is something nobody really focuses on. The emails themselves weren't bleached bit. What happened was Paul Combetta created a vehicle to transfer the emails from the ClintonEmail.com account to another email, which was StoneTear at Gmail.com, a Google account. Everything is there. The only thing they destroyed was the vehicle, and surprisingly, nobody has. Uh, subpoenaed the Google records. They're all on stoneterragmail.com as well as Datto. So you're saying that there are two copies that exist, one on Datto and one on the Google iCloud. Is that what it is? Stoneter, T-E-A-R, at gmail.com is where they were transferred to 
from Clinton Executive Services Corp., which was the Clinton email. Were they transferred as a matter of course? Like, like for example, when my team puts something up on Hannity.com, it immediately goes to Twitter. I have no earthly idea how that happens, but it happens. Uh, I don't think that Paul Combet has ever given a reason why he transferred everything from one account to the other, uh, from a, a business account to this private personal account, which no one has ever looked into, and no one subpoenaed Google for the records, but it's there as well. Is it? And it, it's there, and you're saying you know as a fact that it's there and exists today? I can't say I know as a fact. I could say there's nothing that would dissuade me from from thinking that it's there because, I mean, first of all, you can't, you, you can't wipe out a Google account. Everything's stored in Google servers to the the best of my knowledge, I think, is the best way of stating it. Uh, in terms of the data, uh, which I'm more familiar with, I can give you some numbers. Uh, what happened was when I brought this to Judicial Watch in October of 2016, they did a FOIA. They served the FBI at my request. They served them on October 26th. Then uh, the FBI failed to respond. On December 6, 2016, they served a lawsuit, a civil suit under FOIA upon yeah. the FBI. And that that went to uh, D.C. District Court Judge Randolph Moss, uh, and there were two hearings, one in January of 2017, one in February of 2017, which ruled in favor of Judicial Watch. And then it, it went to another... Well, let me... Bounced, let, all right, let me, let, all right let, me, let me bring back the, the congressman for a second, because I did reach out to Tom Fitton, and he said, we don't know about the 33,000 emails. We do know that the emails that the FBI recovered were turned over, 75,000 documents or pages, and he says they, they're going to release another small batch of that it, this week, as a matter of fact. And these are the documents that the FBI recovered. Um, what, do you have any knowledge of, of what Larry is saying here? Does Congress have any knowledge? And if it's all true, how is it possible that the FBI that was doing an investigation into the case never followed through on what sounds like simple and basic and fundamental searching? Well, I think we have an obligation to determine if it's true. I mean, there's obviously a reason to believe. I mean, no one was talking about uh, this backup server, and so we have to run that to ground. Um, now, why would the FBI have not have done it? Well, I mean, Sean, look, we, we've seen the way that investigation was handled. It was a farce of an investigation. They didn't use the grand jury. They didn't use subpoenas. They surely didn't use search warrants. They were basically doing immunity agreements with potential um, defendants like Cheryl Mills. Um, and so it was just a lack of zealousness. So normally I would look at a case and say, well, gee, how could you not have pursued this? But in this case, you know, they didn't want to make the case against Hillary. And I think that that's clear. So if, in fact, this is something when uh, it has to be turned over, I guess, in, right before the election, I mean, if there are new emails in that batch, I mean, that's going to be yet another black eye for James Comey and the FBI. Let me go back because Paul Combetta of the Platte Rivers Network appeared before the House Oversight Committee. This was in September of 2016. Let me let me play a portion of what he said that day. I, if I understand the email correctly, every single employee at PRN could have accessed some of the most classified national security information that has ever been breached at the State Department. Can you prove that no other individuals accessed this data or even passed it on to someone else? On advice of counsel, I respectfully refuse to answer and assert my Fifth Amendment privilege. Well, one last one here. Mr. Combetta, you're an IT guy who's paid by the Clintons. Generally, IT guys don't release their don't erase their clients' emails unless they're told to do so. So who told you to delete the emails? On advice of counsel, I respectfully decline to answer and assert my Fifth Amendment privilege. Congressman DeSantis, Mr. Cummings, do you have a how, how do you respond to that? 
Well, look, I mean, he's pleading the fifth because I think that there was a prima facie case uh, involving obstruction of justice. Uh, when you're destroying emails that are under a congressional subpoena, that is not uh, consistent with your duties under the law. And we've known that from the beginning. Now, Comey had no interest. Now, he's trying to he tried to start an obstruction case against Trump for Trump allegedly saying Flynn's a good guy. I hope you can let him go. But yet he didn't do an obstruction case against Combetta and the Hillary folks when they did the bleach bidding in the face of a subpoena. It's just a huge double standard. All right. We'll take a break. Do these deleted emails really exist? We're going to do a deep dive into this. Uh, We'll continue it here. We'll continue it on Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern on the Fox News Channel. Unbelievable. 800-941-SEAN is on number. All right, as we continue, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of the program, Congressman Ron DeSantis is with us. Now a Florida gubernatorial candidate, Larry Kawa, is with us. And the question we're asking is, in fact, whether or not the 33,000 deleted emails may, in fact, exist. And did the FBI, uh, was it a dereliction of duty by not pursuing both Google and this Datto so-called servers where they apparently uh, duplicates of the Hillary emails existed? Anyway, there was a national review piece that was written about this very topic, and it actually went on to say that the Trump Justice Department should reopen this investigation into Paul uh, Combetta. This is the guy from Platte Rivers Networks. And anyway, with the new year, et cetera, prosecutors find themselves, you know, thinking about statute of limitations, 2018 beckons, and Platte Rivers Network, the technician that used bleach bit to destroy Hillary's servers and emails, you know, were under congressional investigation. Do you have any doubt, Congressman, that the actions taken by Hillary Clinton to, to number one, put uh, all of these top secret classified uh, special access program information on, a, on this separate data server was illegal and that when they were subpoenaed and she deleted the emails, acid washed the hard drive and beat up the devices, is there any doubt in your mind she committed crimes, felonies? No, I mean, I think uh, it, it clearly when you have classified information has been said uh, and you're grossly negligent with it, that's 18 U.S.C. 793. You've talked about that often. But I think she's also guilty of intentional disclosure because she intentionally set up the server knowing classified information would be routed through there. And so that was a foreseeable consequence. Uh, so I think she was guilty of, of 18 U.S.C. 1020 as well. And then, yes, look, for the obstruction of justice, what is the most reasonable inference? Congress sends subpoenas. These are very sensitive emails. And then a month later, uh, selected numbers of emails are turned over and the rest are bleach bitted. I mean, uh, that's not normal behavior. And yet, as far as we know, and we'll see what the inspector general says, Comey never even considered pursuing an obstruction of justice angle. Uh, for that, uh, which is just mind-boggling. Yeah. Larry, why are you so convinced these emails exist? You're, you are confident. There's a plethora of information. In fact, just to show you how sharp Jim Comey is, I put it up on my website, jimcomey.com. You remember I used to have hillaryforpresident.com because I have fun with these. So all the violations are up there, and, and I, there's a, a paper trail of how these got there. Uh, in fact, I have to thank Big League Politics for having published some stuff on this as well. They've really picked up on the story, and you'll see that there's, uh, there's quite a 
bit of information on there that they're there. Uh, on April 6th, in answer to your question of 2018, uh, DOJ said that there are 72,000 pages that they have to review. Shockingly, the hardest part is pushing the Trump State Department, because DOJ gave these to the State Department to, to review, to, to get this Trump State Department to push them out in a timely fashion, if not for How long have we been waiting for the 72,000 to be reviewed? Uh, well, the ruling was in early 2017, and the, you know the judge gave them until September 28th, 2018. That is the date that everything comes out. And how many have been released so far? Uh, nothing's been released so far, but by September 28th of this year, 2018, is where everything is going to be released. The rollout must be completed according to D.C. District Court Judge uh, Bozberg. How do they get away with this kind of slow-walking congressman? Well, I think that's just been um, you know Congress's fault. Now, we do have some of us who have been really pushing, but if you're not going to provide consequences for the stonewalling, then the bureaucracy is going to protect itself, and they're going to continue to do this. And that's why, if you notice, when we finally have gotten documents turned over on our end, um, it's only when we've said, finally, we're going to do contempt if you don't do it. Then Rosenstein will turn it over. But until you go there, they just delay, delay, delay. So if we would use more of our authority, uh, we would be able to get better results. And, you know, you have Nunes, you have a handful of us, but we need way more people to really dig in against the, the bureaucracy. It's, it's the most unbelievable story to me because, you know, as we're talking, the statute of limitations, I'm sure, on a lot of these cases are running out, which maybe for some people was the very purpose of, of slow walking. Is that a possibility? Yes. And, and remember, Sean, the IRS targeting scandal with Lois Lerner. You know, we held her in contempt. And then what happened? We go back and forth. Koskinen comes in. He gives false statements. He says they deleted, accidentally deleted 400 backup tapes with all of Lerner's emails on it. And so that went on for months and months and year and year. And at the end of the day, um, he ran out the clock and uh, no one was held accountable. And so, you know, that just can't happen, but we need more fortitude throughout the Congress uh, to prevent. I and a lot of my colleagues were trying to impeach Koskinen back then, and we didn't get support uh, from the Republican leadership for that. All right, last word, Larry. Yeah, I actually sued Koskinen with Judicial Watch in the first case that I did since they represented me in the Supreme Court and the employer mandate, and uh, and then one where we sued the State Department. So in answer to your question, it's, it's really amazing to me that they're slow walking it so much, and I think the answer is because 99% of the people in these agencies are career rather than political appointees. So they're playing this shell game of email peekaboo, and they keep playing footsie, and we're getting nowhere because of that. You know, I, we're so busy and wrapped up in these ever-emerging scandals, it, it does serve us well to go back to some of the most fundamental and basic questions here. And uh, we're going to continue this uh, tonight. Thank you all for being with us, Larry. Thank you. Good work. Thank you. Uh, Congressman, I'm glad you're out there pushing these questions. And uh, good luck as you make your run for governor. Uh, if it helps you, I'll unendorse you, whatever works best for you. No, uh, we want you in my corner, Sean. We oh. appreciate it. All right. Thank you. 800-941-SEAN is our toll-free telephone number. If you want to be a part of the program, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back uh, and continue. Of a nuclear showdown with North Korea keeps you up at night, I would recommend deleting your Twitter app. He is not merely being cavalier with a threat about nuclear war. He's being cavalier in a way that makes him seem demented. These are the messages from a person who is not well, from a leader who is not fit for office. President Trump is goading Kim Jong-un to uh, test 
a nuclear missile again to uh, prove its reliability, to show him wrong. And fundamentally, I think it comes across as two kindergartners who are jostling each other, except that each has nuclear weapons. Well, here's uh, 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 too late after 100,000 yeah. Americans die. After so, a nuclear holocaust. Or after a million die in Seattle. And that's where we are. This he, is not an exaggeration. Trump's comments about nuclear weapons have experts worried he could literally inadvertently trigger a catastrophe. We have two maniacs with nuclear warheads bragging about who has the bigger button. <laughs> he is not merely being cavalier with a threat about nuclear war. He's being cavalier in a way that makes him seem demented. Kim Jong-un saying North Korea no longer needs any nuclear tests. Mid-range and intercontinental ballistic missile tests. And he's saying that the nuclear test site uh, in the northern area near the Chinese border uh, at Pungay-ri has completed its mission, therefore will likely be closed. This is an extraordinarily significant development and frankly, a huge win for President Trump. I am really uh, almost speechless here at the pace at which North Korea has done this U-turn. And this all started with Donald Trump agreeing to sit down for a summit with Kim Jong-un. You know, the media in this country, they are just so, so very predictable. 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. It's so predictable. I can't believe it. Anyway, news roundup, information overload hour. It is, to me, so obvious. So here they think it's the worst thing in the world that Donald Trump would say, little rocket man, and my button's bigger than yours and our button works. And little rocket man better be careful. Then he shows military force, remember. They actually, the president actually deployed real ships and submarines right off the coast where they were, our missiles were in, it literally in sight, we had in our sights, North Korea. And then it ends up, oh, now all of a sudden little rocket man is talking about peace and is talking about the denuclearization of the entire peninsula. And the media was worried that Trump was going to start a, a, a nuclear war. Or the CNN reporter left speechless. Absolute. I'm speechless. I can't believe what happened with North Korea. What a huge development. What a huge win for Trump. Um, you know what they don't understand? They always wanted and expected what their philosophical minds tell them. And that is that somehow if you get down on your knees and you beg and you bribe and you plea, plead and you say, pretty pleased with sugar on top that somehow these these dictators and despots and these radical mullahs in Iran will like you. Bill Clinton failed in trying to bribe Kim Jong-un's father, Kim Jong-il, and billions of dollars in energy aid, etc. This is a good deal for the American people, and it's going to stop them from developing nuclear weapons. Well, it did. Before I take your questions, I'd like to say just a word about the framework with North Korea that Ambassador Gallucci signed this morning. This is a good deal for the United States. North Korea will freeze and then dismantle its nuclear program. South Korea and our other allies will be better protected. The entire world will be safer as we slow the spread of nuclear weapons. South Korea, with support from Japan and other nations, will bear most of the cost of providing North Korea with fuel to make up for the nuclear energy it is losing. And they will pay for an alternative power system for North Korea that will allow them to produce electricity while making it much harder for them to produce nuclear weapons. The United States and international inspectors will carefully monitor North Korea to make sure it keeps its commitments. 
Only as it does so will North Korea fully join the community of nations. Okay, that deal didn't work out very well. They have nuclear weapons, and now they're obviously building the missile technology. And we're talking about nuclear weapons that would have the ability to reach the continental United States and even New York and even Boston. A really scary scenario. So the president, with tough talk, backed up by a military presence, now Kim Jong-un is willing to to talk about the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but at least we've got a shot. You know, we, we should have learned these lessons. You know, World War II, the classic appeasement moment in history, Neville Chamberlain meeting in Munich with Hitler and, and the infamous phrase, there's peace in our time, peace in our time. There was no peace with an evil, murdering dictator, none whatsoever. But people like Winston Churchill saw through that lie, watched and and was watching the evolution of evil right in front of everybody's faces and how many millions and millions of human souls were slaughtered. You know, when do we learn the lessons from history? And then Ronald Reagan taking on the evil empire. It scared the media to death at that time. And then lo and behold, what happened? He goes to the Berlin Wall, says those, those now famous words. Well, General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you wall. seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Even Reagan's own advisors begged him not to do that and say that. And through the prism of history, peace through strength, trust but verify, became the defining model as it relates to foreign policy. You know, and Obama worshipped, you know, Nobel Peace Prizes. What peace? You know, dropping off $150 billion in cargo planes and in U.S. currency, et cetera, uh, to the mullahs of Iran to reward them for chanting death to America, for chanting death to Israel, for killing U.S. soldiers in Iraq, fomenting terror around the world, fighting proxy war after proxy war. And now we give them $150 billion so they can burn our flags and burn the Israeli flag. It doesn't work. And that's why the media is so shocked that what Donald Trump is doing, it is it is the exact model that has that was that he's duplicating with Reagan. Just different players, just a different wall, just a different dictator, just a different despot, just different players here. But the model is the same. You don't appease evil. Anyway, 800-941-SEAN, our toll-free telephone number. Susanna, first in Pittsburgh, PA, where our friend Rose Tennant lives. What's up, Susanna? How are you? Glad you called. Hey, Sean. It's good to talk with you. Listen, I just want to say that, you know, any antidote to a, a disease is for you, you're our antidote to the disease of fake news. You're our antidote to the disease of uh, false narratives because you give us the facts, but I need you to help me here because, you know, whenever 
someone on the left does something wrong, McCabe, he leaks classified information to the media, and he and he says he, it's all that he gets is a slap, and he lacked candor. That's what they say. He lacked candor. Hillary Clinton, she lacked judgment. Uh, we, we're hearing that our own Congress lacks fortitude. What the heck do we have to do to get this solved? What do we, the people, have to do? Who do we have to call in, can, uh, in Congress? What has to happen? Listen, to make the, sure the, that but the most important thing, look, everybody, I say this, and I'm, these are not words for me. This is what I truly believe is we're all spokes in a wheel. Now, everybody mm-hmm. has a job. We all serve others in, in some capacity. doesn't matter if you're a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, producing a radio show or, or hosting a radio show. It doesn't matter because you're, you're providing goods and services to others. What we're trying to do here is give people the news and information that you're not going to get elsewhere. And our hope is, is that you use it, you understand it, that you're not misled by a lot of erroneous and fake and hysterical and, and hyperventilating reports that come out that have never been proven true. And, you know, understand what is at stake for the country. They want to destroy this president. They want to delegitimize him. They want the Democrats in power. That that makes 2018 extraordinarily important if you want the president to continue on his agenda. Um, and I think number one is voting. Number two, talking to your friends. You know, a lot of people like Trump and are afraid to say it. I mean, I was watching Kanye West um, all this week. He spoke out for this woman, Candace Owens, who was on my TV show last night. What a what a wonderful person. I mean, so courageous and strong. She did a town hall, powerful voice. And, you know, I really was impressed. I mean, Kanye West stood up for her right to freedom of speech and, you know, literally said he has a love for Donald Trump that runs deep. And he challenged what he said is the thought police that want to suppress freedom. And I admire his independence. I admire Candace's independence. If you're conservative and an African-American you are treated horribly in this country. It is full-on racism, full-on abuse. Tom Arnold, the things that he said about Candace Owens, he should, he should never, any conservative that said anything similar, that would be the end of them in their career. It would be the end of them ever being taken seriously. Now, sure, he pulled down the, the tweets and the text, but they were full of vile hatred. Deneen Barelli writes about this in her book, Blacklash. Google my name and see what comes up just because she happens to be a black conservative and smart and bright and has fundamental beliefs. I never understood how this bigotry is allowed to exist. So the short answer is, Susanna, just keep doing what you're doing, you know, and supporting shows like this helps me keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, well, give us a list of uh, congressmen things that we need to bombard their phones with, because I think we're ready to do it. We have to do something to get them rolling in order to hold uh, the FBI, the Justice Department, to hold all of them accountable. We want to see justice, like you said, done equally for all. So give us the name, and, and Sean, we'll, we'll be in um, it We'll put it up on our website, as, especially as we get closer to 2018. Uh, the House Intel Committee members in particular, Devin Nunes, has done a phenomenal job. Uh, Bob Goodlatte, the House Judiciary Committee, they're fighting, you know, to get these documents released. All the Freedom Caucus members, they're now indispensable. They are the voice of real conservatives in this country today. And they're the people that we can rely on the most. They're the ones that are fighting the hardest for the president, for the agenda that the American people voted for. So 
Anyway, Susanna, let not your heart be troubled. I, I think we're going to get beyond this, and it's just going to take a little time. And um, it's just, listen, it's a battle every day. You see what it's like in the news media, how corrupt they are. All right, let's get back to our busy telephones here. 800-941-SEAN, our toll-free telephone number. Jose is in Miami, WIOD. What's happening, Jose? Sir, welcome to the program. Thank you, Sean. How are you doing? I'm good. What's happening? I just want to uh, express my outrage over the Olinskyite tactics there being used by the, the mass media. I mean, uh, Trump has been under attack incessantly since he got into office, but now it's spreading to anybody that dare oppose uh, the leftist ideology. These people are bankrupt uh, within their own ideology. They offer no new ideas, nothing that's going to change the direction of the, of the country. But all they can do is call names, besmirch, dehumanize, and vilify. And this has to come to an end. Listen, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of all of this, and I see it every day. I experience it every day. And I totally understand. I mean, you see a president every single day of his presidency under nonstop, never-ending assault by a corrupt media that wants to destroy him, his presidency, delegitimize him. These are the times we are living in. It's really sick and ugly and twisted, and it's horrible, but that's why the American people need to be involved. That's why people need to understand, you know, there, there are a lot of these deep state operatives and high levels of power that didn't like the fact that you, we, the American people, we, the people, voted for somebody they didn't want. And they don't like it. And as a result, they are using every tactic trick to smear, slander, besmirch, use character assassination. Uh, I experience it myself now almost on a daily basis. And I'm frankly fine with it because I'm standing up for what I know is right. We've been right. We've exposed the biggest corruption scandal in the history of the country. We're only in the beginning part of it. And we have... You know, we've actually exposed something that is a danger to the country, and that is this abuse of power. And that is surveillance, unmasking, fixing investigations uh, so presidential candidates can get through, lying to FISA courts to get warrants, omitting key information from FISA courts, destroying uh, classified information. So all of this together has created a lot of anger and angst on the left because they clung to a narrative that was never going to be proven because it was never true. Anyway, we'll just keep fighting. That's that's the answer. All right, Jose, thank you. 800-941-SEAN, our toll-free telephone number if you want to be a part of the program. Quick break, right back. We'll continue straight ahead. Ainsley Earhart joins us uh, to talk about her new book and much more. Coming up next, our final news roundup and information overload hour. They restart their nuclear program. They will have bigger problems than they have ever had before. Are you willing to consider staying in the Iran deal? We're going to be talking about it. We'll see. I mean, uh, people know my views on the Iran deal. It was a terrible deal. It should have never, ever been made. We could have made a good deal or a reasonable deal. The Iran deal is a terrible deal. We paid $150 billion. We gave $1.8 billion in cash. That's actual cash. Uh, barrels of cash. It's insane. It's ridiculous. It should have never been made. Kim Jong-un was, uh, he really has been uh, very open and I think very honorable from everything we're seeing. Now, a lot of promises have been made by North Korea over the years, but uh, they've never been in this position. We have been very, very tough on maximum pressure. We have been very tough on uh, 
uh, as you know, trade. We've been very, very tough at the border. Sanctions have been the toughest we've ever imposed on any country. And we think it'll be a great thing for North Korea and it'll be a great thing for the world. So we'll see where that all goes. That was the president with uh, in the joint presser that he did uh, earlier today with Macron of France and talking a lot about the Iranian issue, North Korea, Kim Jong-un, the nuclear deal. And so much more. Joining us now is Fox News Chief White House Correspondent. And uh, our friend Ed Henry is with us. Uh, Pretty historic day. It was interesting. Obviously, they agreed on what they joined forces with in Syria. Obviously, everybody's happy about what is emerging. It's a trust but verify situation in North Korea. Uh, But they disagreed on Iran. And Macron is talking about a plan B. Yeah, well, they disagreed, but I actually think they're coming to agreement. I think this is an example on Iran where a lot of people laughed at the president's strategy, just as they laughed at his strategy on North Korea. We can get more in-depth on North Korea in a minute, but what I saw play out today is – that tough rhetoric in the sort of late morning about how if Iran, you know, breaks this deal uh, and moves forward on nukes, they will feel more pain than they ever have. I'm paraphrasing the president. Uh, that's a little bit similar to fire and fury and whatnot on North Korea last year. Everyone laughed, and now the president's got North Korea at the table making concessions. And likewise, what I saw was later in the day, just a, just a Uh, In the afternoon, um, there was a joint news conference uh, after those comments you played where basically uh, President Macron of France uh, suggested he's willing to work with President Trump on a new and improved Iran deal. And this is why I think that's significant, uh, why I think it's so important, is that when the president came to power, President Trump, uh, people, again, were laughing at the idea, you can't make the Iran nuclear deal better. It's either or. Either you accept the Obama broker deal that pretty much everyone around the world knows has big, big holes in it, uh, or you walk out and you be a unilateral president and, and you're going to destroy this whole deal. No, actually, there's a third way that President Trump and President Macron are talking about. Uh, and I, I give great credit to President Macron here. He's saying, I understand that you have real problems with this deal. I'm largely supportive of the deal, he said, uh, but I'm willing to make changes and make it better. And so for all the people who spent all this time laughing at President Trump and saying, you know, you're just going to pull out of it, uh, you'll never make it better. Here you have a leader around the world who's becoming this president's link to Europe who's saying, no, actually, maybe President Trump is right. Maybe we can improve it. Now, they're not there yet, but I I saw President Macron moving there, uh, and that might be a bit of uh, a diplomatic achievement like we saw the president get on North Korea as well. I was interested with President Macron's comments about um, about not having or allowing any Iranian hegemony in the region. It's actually the phrase that I always use about it and how it has Mm -hmm. created a a new opportunity in the Middle East because this unprecedented alliance has emerged between Israel, the Saudis, the Egyptians, the Jordanians, the Emirates, and all of them have been ex- exchanging intelligence and and bu- literally building, you know, a, a relationship that I don't think anybody thought possible just a short time ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that plays in, obviously, with Syria as well, where more news was committed uh, in addition, because President Macron was saying, I understand President Trump wants to get U.S. troops out of Syria uh, as soon as possible. But there may need, be, need to be a transition time here where, as President Trump says, we've really decimated ISIS uh, in Syria and elsewhere. Uh, and that's an important achievement. But you may need a transition to make sure that Syria doesn't get worse beyond, beyond the ISIS problem um, because you don't want to leave a vacuum there for Iran and some of the other powers that you mentioned. Uh, 
trying to make more mischief in the region. And so, again, it's not perfect. Um, but for all of the talk months, months and months ago about how this president can't work any diplomacy, uh, doesn't have any friends in Europe, uh, you know, is shrinking around the world. Uh, I saw President Macron come to the White House here for the first official you know, state dinner and all that will be playing out tonight. Uh, and he's really come to the table and is really trying to uh, make some real progress with President Trump. Uh, and I think that's a good development, not just for America, but for the entire world. It seems that, you know, every single foreign leader the president is meeting that he's getting along really well with, whether we're talking about Japan or China. China in particular, I think, played a pretty big role in bringing North Korea to the negotiating yeah. table. And more importantly, nobody seems to want to pay attention to it in the media, but the trade concessions that China has made as it relates to the imports of American automobiles, uh, the protection of intellectual property rights, that is another big give. But if you look yeah. at it, I, I think things that people thought were maybe unimaginable during the Obama years, you know, now North Korea is at the table, new alliances in the Middle East emerging, a great relationship with China, denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, um, you know, this might actually end up being worthy if they can close these deals, and that's a big if. Uh, yeah, that is a big if, but what you're seeing, Sean, is a pattern, okay, as we've been saying. So North Korea, the president talks tough, people laugh. Uh, Iran, the uh, president talks tough, people laugh. Tariffs in China, uh, president talks tough, people laugh. And what's happening? China makes concessions on autos and others. Uh, and the tariffs have not had uh, such a bad impact on the U.S. economy or the world economy, as has been predicted. You're right. There's still a lot of big ifs. And there still could be a major impact ahead of the midterms that we've got to keep our eye on. But my broader point is you have a president who's doing things differently. People in the media still don't quite get that. Uh, and so when he talks about fire and fury with North Korea, the big, big line last year was he's on the brink of nuclear war. Well, actually, he might be on the brink of bringing a peace in North Korea. And, and as you said rightly, it's a big if. Um, there are still a lot of people wondering uh, whether or not Kim Jong-un is going to come to the table in June uh, with President Trump. Uh, and pull back and say, oh, I tried, but but never mind, I'm going to keep my nukes. The uh, president made a bold statement again today by saying what denuclearization means to him uh, is not just ending the nuclear testing, as we've seen this freeze from North Korea, but, but giving up all of their nukes. That's something uh, that North Korea... It, it's going to be it's going to take a lot of diplomatic work for them to follow through on that. But my broader point is time and time again, this president has had tough talk. He's backed it up. People have laughed. And then other leaders like President Macron of France are saying, you know what? Uh, I thought the, the rhetoric might have been outlandish at first, but we're making some progress here. Yeah, it's pretty phenomenal, although it's amazing that in this media, uh, you don't get any credit if your name's Donald Trump for anything that you do. Let's talk about tonight. This is the first uh, state dinner uh, that he has now had since he's president. What do we expect tonight? Well, I think we're going to see some more warm words. I mean, I, I was seeing that some former uh, White House social secretaries like Lee Berman have been saying you always can tell how things go for real in the private talks based on the toasts that they have at the dinner. I think people will be looking at that. Why is that? It's not just some silly uh, party thing. It's, it's, is there a real warm friendship here? I think we've seen in the early hours that there is uh, between the U.S. and French presidents. Um, but my point is, if, if they follow it up tonight as well at the state dinner, again, it's going to be an example of this president rising to the occasion on the world stage. By the way, he has another test, because one thing I'd push back on, you mentioned a moment ago about he has warm relations with almost every world leader. I think you'd have to agree. One exception might be Angela Merkel, who, by the way, is coming to the White House in a few days, not going to get the state dinner, which I think was a, a it was not an accident. I think this president did not want to throw a state dinner for Angela Merkel. They've been pretty chilly with one another. She hasn't been 
uh, as strong an ally to President Trump as she was to President Obama. Uh, but she's got her own problems back home with, with uh, refugees and, and whatnot and is in a much worse political standing back home than she was in the Obama years. So I think this president is trying to leverage his relationship with the French president. And so, yeah, there's partying. you got people in the media complaining that they weren't invited to the state dinner, which is a lot of silliness. Uh, but the real hard work, work of diplomacy, I think, I think there are some, uh, you know, you're, you're right to be skeptical and say if this happens and there's a lot, lot of ifs and buts. Um, but in the early stages, this president has had a pretty good day. So when is the Washington Correspondents Dinner? And, <laughs> and, and here's a funny tidbit. I, I think you know this. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah. so I've been on radio 30 years and I've been on Fox now in my 23rd year. And I've never been to a, a Washington Correspondents Dinner because I never wanted to go because I don't particularly like the Washington Correspondents people that go to this thing. Have you, have you been well, there? I, I, I would have liked you. I know you like me, Sean. Yeah, yeah, you like me, and we get along, and we see each other off the air. So maybe one of these days I laugh because maybe one of these days I'll get you there. But look, in all seriousness, are you going this year? Kind of deal. I am going to go this year. I was, I was, I was on the fence about it, but then a couple of colleagues from Fox are coming from New York and said, "Come on, we're we're coming all the way." So they're going to get on the Amtrak. So I'm going to go with them. Some of my all friends. Right, so who who uh, from Fox, Fox is going? Because I got to imagine. I like, heard. Yeah, I've heard Brian Kilmeade, some of the producers at Fox and Friends that I'm friends with. I'm trying to get some of you, you know, some of the Hannity producers to go, but I think they stand in solidarity with you as very anti-swamp. Uh, and and I respect that. I yeah. say that with a chuckle. Uh, it's Saturday night, the the White House uh, Correspondent Association dinner. Look, the president for the second year in a row is not going to go. That's his prerogative, his right. And what he's going to do is he keeps picking these uh, other towns named Washington. I think last year it was Washington, Pennsylvania. I think this year it's Washington, Michigan, uh, where he's making a not so subtle statement. I'm going to the other Washingtons to actually talk to the people. I think it's uh, a smart move on his part. States. Why? why smart move. He. he in other words, he's standing with the people instead of the Washington elite. Look, is there anybody funny this year? Is there anybody good there? <laughs> you know, I don't even know who they have. I thought they had somebody from Comedy Central coming or something. I think last year it became a bash Trump fest, which is nobody's surprise. And I think that's one of the reasons the president is going to go, because he knows that there are a lot of people in the media have been attacking him. I think, though, in all seriousness, that maybe next year, uh, after the midterms, as he starts pivoting to a 2020 reelection battle, he might want to have an olive branch and actually go to the dinner in 2019. I don't know that he will. It's a long way away. And frankly, in the grand scheme of things, as you know better than anyone, uh, I think sometimes people spend too much time on this thing, that, the, the dinner, they call it the nerd prom and all of that. Everybody wants to take selfies and be with celebrities. You know what? There's a lot more important issues in the country, which I know you know better than anyone, uh, whether it's the economy, whether it's some of these big international issues we've been talking about. And so I like to go. It's one night. Yeah, you have dinner with some, you know, White House officials and members of Congress, and then you move on and get back to the important work because there's much bigger issues than who's going to the dinner. Uh, yeah, I don't think uh, I, I'm not loved by that's so not my crowd. Hannity to go. I'm going to start a drive. Hannity yeah. in 2019. We yeah, here's the thing: you can start a petition, and let me tell you what's going to happen. Nobody will sign it. <laughs> not one person. They'll start a, a counter petition. Uh, anyway, Ed Henry, as always, we appreciate your hard work, and uh, All right, thanks for having me on. Uh, our White House correspondent for the Fox News Channel, 800-941-SEAN, is our toll-free telephone number if you want to be a part of the program. All right, as we continue, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. Uh, to the phones we go. David is in Kentucky. David, hi, how are you? We're glad you called, sir. Uh, doing just fine, Sean. Thanks for having me on. 
a uh, big fan of your work. Um, I, you've been talking about uh, why the Democrats or the Department of Justice has been slow walking the information uh, to Congress. I, my opinion, I think it's because they're trying to hang on and give as little as possible until the midterms. Then maybe they don't have to give any. Yeah, I think all of that. I think they've look. They've been slow walking everything. That's why the news that they have finally come to an agreement. And also, don't forget now we're only weeks away. So we're told from the inspector general's report when the inspector general's report comes out, I think it's going to be a lot easier to get access to the one point two million documents that are that have been handed over that he's accumulated over the course of this investigation into how the Hillary email server investigation went down. Look, you know, as Rudy Giuliani said, I've never seen a case with as much evidence as the one against Hillary Clinton. And he's right. I mean, there's never been more evidence. And that's why I keep saying to people, okay, if you want to try to do the things she did, good luck to you, because I think you're going to be in pretty big legal trouble. Um, I agree, Sean. Thanks for all you do. All right, David. Thank you. Pam in Virginia. What's up, Pam? How are you? Glad you called. Thanks, Mr. Hannity. And thanks for everything you do for the American public. We couldn't do it without you. Yeah, I just wanted you. to go back to Comey also. I mean, it's it's amazing how when we point to Comey, suddenly something else happens to point to Trump. When we point to Hillary, something else happens and we point to Trump. And the Comey and the Hillary lies, the Comey and the Hillary um, just blatant breaking of the law, and yet nothing is done. And, and it just seems like as the American public gets more and more fed up with it, they're pushing their agenda further and further and further, the liberals are. And there is no evidence whatsoever to substantiate what they're saying, yet we can back up what we're saying about Hillary. We can back up what we're saying about Comey. We can back up what, we, what we're saying about all of the ones that have actually committed crimes, and yet nothing happens. What is the American public to do with with this investigation? It's wasting our money, and nothing is happening. Look, I, I it's sad, and this is the difference between shows like this and the rest of the mainstream media. I mean, they, they have been pushing a false narrative. You know, as Rod Rosenstein said, when Rod Rosenstein went in two weeks ago, well, not last Thursday, the Thursday before, talked to Trump and actually said to Donald Trump, you're not the target of the Mueller investigation or the Cohn investigation. What he was really saying there is, yeah, after a year and a half, there's no evidence of Trump-Russia collusion. That's what he's saying. So, but with that, with that said, they still have hysterically and breathlessly been reporting almost nonstop everything that they could possibly report that is turning out not to be true. And as you rightly point out, we've, we've been on the mark. We have cases. Now you see the criminal referrals. Now you see everything that we said and have been reporting to be true. Listen, I don't feel good about it. I don't, you know, you know, abuse of power like this is not good for the country. The fact that it happened and few people actually cared enough to get it right is is beyond frustrating to me because they're not doing their jobs. 800-941-SHAWN, our toll-free telephone number. All right, 800-941-SHAWN, our toll-free telephone number. So I'm watching Fox and Friends this morning, and our friend Ainsley Earhart has a brand-new inspirational memoir out. It's called The Light Within Me. And Ainsley Earhart joins us now. It's called The Light Within Me, an inspirational memoir. Uh, I had the great honor of endorsing the book. And uh, Ainsley, welcome uh, back to the program. How are you? Hey, Sean. Thank you so much. I'm doing great. All right. First of all, your dad, who I met, he came to my show, is an amazing person. And Thank you. And I kind of, I don't know if it was on purpose, but I did notice, like, you and your daughter were wearing, like, matching colors. Was that on purpose? <laughs> 
Well, I did want to wear a lighter color today because the book, if you see the cover. Well, of hang the on book, a second. I'm thinking about lighter colors for tonight, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> so I wore a light blue dress. And then Hayden, when I was getting her dress, she does, blue is her best color. So I thought we would look better on camera together if we matched a little bit. So I would be lying if I told you I didn't plan that. All right. The funny thing is she looks like a little you. I mean, you think so? Linda's laughing. I thought I, I, 100%. And I'm looking at the picture <laughs> in the back of the book. Um, and I've never seen pictures of when you were young. I'm looking now through the, the book. Uh, yeah, I absolutely see it because there are those, those baby pictures. I can absolutely see it. Um, well, thank you. So I said um, when, when you gave me an early copy and you were writing the book um, and you asked me to, to read it over, and if I did a blurb mm-hmm. for it, which I'm honored to do, and and you've been such a, a partner of our show, you know, the, uh, I feel bad some of the experiences. You actually wrote about it in the book uh, about mm-hmm. how horrible it was when we sent you down to Panama City <laughs> Beach for spring break. I think you were, you know, and that you're sitting there and all these kids are smoking pot and, and taking these drugs and out of control. And you felt bad for those kids. I know I did. I did. You know, the, every experience that you've sent me on has been wonderful and so much fun. But I know where those kids are because I was when I wasn't, you know, pot thing. I wasn't into into drugs and into that drug scene. But as far as just partying in college and, and knowing what that's like, and I was there too. And you're just trying to fill this void that you have in your heart when you're at that age. And you don't know what that void is. And you think it might be falling in love or you think it might be, you know, being asked out by the cute guy or getting in the right sorority or whatever it is at that age. But, um, for me, I, that void, the only thing that could fill that void was, was God. And I, I figured that out my junior year. And that's what the book is called, The Light Within Me, because there is this light within me. And I've written these two children's books, but I felt like there was still this story to tell. And when Harper Collins came to me and said, we want you to write this memoir, I said, a memoir? I thought you write a memoir when you've had a full life, when you're like 75 years old. And I didn't want it to be so self-serving. But then when they said, it, it's, we need it to be about your faith, because your faith, you, you talk so freely about it on the air, and people ask us about it all the time. And so we want you to write a memoir about that. And I thought, how can I say no to that? That's, that's a God saying, I want you to spread my message. I can't say no to that. So this is a book that is, you know, to do a third book, it's been uh, two years, in the last two years, I've done three books. And I'm not saying that because I'm being boastful. I'm saying that because... I would not have done this book. I just knew God God wanted me to do it. And so I, I couldn't turn my back on him. And so I feel like this book is, I hope that people read it and they don't see that I'm self-serving. I hope they read it and well, see God in me. This is what I got out of it. And, and this is when I, I wrote the blurb for the book. And what I wrote was, mm-hmm. there are very few public figures that would ever be willing to be that vulnerable and that real by sharing what are really innermost thoughts and secrets. And you, I don't think there's anything you hold back here in as much as, you know, I I think people have this image of people that are Christians. I guess, don't we all want to be Christians? You know, Mm -hmm. all have sinned and fallen short, but but you are opening up a door that says, okay, these are my experiences. These are my mistakes. This is where mm-hmm. I got on the right track. You know, you go through a, a history where you, I think you went to Florida State and then you transferred to your 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 parents' alma mater. 
and and then one day you're at a party and everyone's getting smashed and all of a sudden you're beginning to think why am i doing this correct that happened on october 19th 1997 and god was working on my heart and in the book i go into great detail about what god was doing throughout my life that led me to that point where he was just trying to get a hold of me and i had one foot in and one foot out just like many christians in the south we go to church on sundays we say our prayers at night we say a blessing with every meal and god has talked about a little bit. But in my experience, at least in my family, we went to very formal churches, Episcopal churches and Lutheran churches, and I love those churches. But I never paid attention if they told me about having a relationship with Christ. And I heard that later in college. I heard it a little bit along the way. All the people I realized at my junior year of college that I looked up to were really, really strong Christians. They were good, good people, and I wanted what they had. I just didn't know how to find it. And then finally, God gave me the answer at a fraternity party at a mountain weekend up in the mountains. And um, I just walked out. I, we were at this party. They were having an old senior and we all met at the senior house, and we were down in the basement of this cabin in the, in the middle of the woods, and it was snowing outside. There was music playing, and you could smell marijuana. I, didn't, I wasn't smoking marijuana, but I could smell it. And there, um, there was just like they were off-color conversations, and everyone was drunk. And so I just looked at my life, and I thought, is this what I want to keep doing? I've done this every weekend at least. Even some during the week when I was in college, a lot during the week when I was in college. And I said, I just am tired of this life. There's got to be more than this. What am I doing with my life, God? I need to get serious. I need to find a job. I want to be able to support my family one day. I've got to get serious with my life. Can you please help me? And I was in this Bible study with a group of people at the time, and we were all kind of searching for something. And it was called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, and it was so powerful. And I truly started experiencing God. And by one one page at a time, just doing this Bible study and doing this workbook and reading the Bible, God started changing my heart. And I, he, he put me in the right places, too. Like all, 50% of my sorority sisters at the University of South Carolina were really strong Christians. And they started taking me to their Baptist church. And this Baptist church was so much fun. We met, the, the church was huge, but because the college ministry was so big at Shandon Baptist, we had to meet in the movie theater next door. And there was a praise and worship band, and everyone was excited about being there. And they would always have this young college student or this young couple that would get up and give a little sermon for us. And it was like, wow, this is what I want. These are really, really good people. And they loved God, and everything they did was to please Him. And that meant loving others. And they love Well, but the, let me add one thing to this, because, you know, one of the things that I, I think that um, that really pops out at me is the fact that you don't you don't hide anything here. In other words, you're you're basically saying, uh, OK, this is where my heart is. This is what I want to do. But mm-hmm. uh, I've also had hard times, really hard times, mm-hmm. very. And you're and you're totally open with them in a way I never would do. Um, I, know. I am just, I'm, I'm a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I think you've opened yourself up and I know you did it on purpose and I know your heart's there. And I think that, I mean, I think that's what makes it so relatable for people. Um, I could tell your best friend Linda is texting back and forth. She, apparently Liam and, and your baby girl are going to get married. <laughs> Hayden are going to get married. Wouldn't that be great? How Wouldn't adorable is he? And they both I'm have shocked. their loveys in the pictures that we're sharing with each other. I'm, I'm absolutely shocked. Uh, 
But but the point is, you know, I just think people have an image of Christians that they don't have problems or that they have to right. be perfect or, you know, right. because I I know everything that I do in my life that's wrong. I, my conscience yeah. tells me, all right, that's wrong. And I don't know why I do these things anyway. And I'm not as big. I mean, don't you know internally every time you're doing something wrong? I do. I do. Absolutely. Yes. That's called conviction. And God gives you that. And it's a beautiful thing because it, it prevents you. It allows you to be convicted and change your ways. And um, I think that's the power of the Holy Spirit. But you're right about being vulnerable in this book. I talk about the death of my grandmother, the death, I, I had all four of them, but when I lost my first one, it was the biggest punch in the in the gut, and I talk about that. I talk about not getting uh, the weekend show when I wanted Fox and Friends weekend. I was filling in for 10 months, and how painful that was for me because I was working the overnights Monday through Wednesday. I was traveling for your show Thursday and Friday, and then flying back to New York to be on Fox and Friends. On yeah, we, we were absolutely and, horrible to you because we gave you the absolute worst assignments, and you were... You know, you were you were just amazing because we'd send you to you know uh, Panama City Beach. We'd send you up or and make me jump out of airplanes. Well, I or... mean, you mean you didn't like <laughs> no, it? They I thought were not horrible. These are all things that I, the host was never going to do. That's why we, you know, well Ainsley will do it. It's sort of like on the cereal commercial. Mikey, let him try it. He'll try anything. Ainsley will try it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you would, well, but you also talk about pain. You were very revealing in this book, and I know. I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I mean, you and and someone else in this in, in on my radio show experienced something a real heartache in your life. Oh yeah, um, you're you're talking about miscarriage. Yeah. Well, I do write very candidly about that, and reading those pages still kills me. When I um, had to do the audio book, we had to take a lot of breaks because I couldn't even speak. Um, that. That was a really hard time because I wanted a baby so badly, and I planned it out where I was going to have a baby that was going to be born in the fall because of school issues. Like I had heard it was really hard to get a child in a school if they were born in the summer. And so it's so stupid when I look back at it, but I was trying to, you know, we plan, God laughs. I was trying to plan that my baby would be born a certain month, and I had to, you know, conceive her in a certain month. And so I tried and tried and tried, and then we couldn't get pregnant. And we went on and on for several months, nine months or so. And finally, and, and walking down the streets of New York and seeing women that were pregnant or seeing baby carriages just made me so sad because I wanted to be a mom so badly. And I'd waited a really long time to be a mom because I'd focused so much on my career. And growing up in a middle-class family, we just struggled for money. And dad and mom, you know, were stressed out a lot about money. And so... Um, I didn't want that for my child. I wanted to get to a point in my career where I didn't have to worry about that. Listen, so I, I, time, I totally relate to this. I totally yeah, relate but, to it. But but that's real know, pain. Think, that's that, that I think well, is real pain. And it, do you ever, does your faith, did you question your faith to say, you know, how did this happen I, to me? I didn't. I never questioned. I n- I've never asked. I don't think I've ever said, well, I take that back. I've, I've asked God, why? Why is this happening? Please give me the answer. But... I knew I was going to get pregnant eventually. I just knew it because God is so good in my life. And eventually he answers my prayers and gives us those desires. But um, it just allowed me to stay on my knees that much longer and trust and rely on him. So finally we got pregnant. And then, Sean, we lost the baby. We heard the heartbeat, and it was so beautiful. And then we went back, and the doctor came in and was was not acting like herself. And she said, you know, I've seen some other patients today. They're going through what you're going through. And I said, what are, what am I going through? What do you mean? I heard the heartbeat last time. And she said, yes, but the baby was small. And 
Um, I just thought she told me that the baby was small, but I thought it was because we had miscalculated the weeks and the doctor just thought the baby was was um, not as far along. And so she um, gives she has the ultrasound and she rubs that that little wand over my my stomach and there is no heartbeat and she's searching and searching and I'm praying and praying and starting to panic and there's no heartbeat. And I just said, doctor, I told my doctor who I've known for 10 years, I said, I prayed and prayed for a healthy baby. And I guess God had another plan. And I just cried. And, um, actually I don't, I didn't even cry there. I was strong there because I just thought God's answering my prayer, but I can't believe I'm going through this. And then I had to have a DNC and a, a surgery after that, and then we got pregnant again three months later. So I never would have had Hayden if I hadn't gone through that experience. But I did grieve that child, and I remember having the DNC and being in that hospital and knowing that they were taking my baby from me, and that was really hard because I knew I was going to be separated from my child for the last time until That's... we're in heaven together. Uh, number one, I know I speak for everybody here on our team. I'm looking at Linda is, is crying hearing your, your story. And uh, as I said earlier, um, what makes this book so good, I, and this was my few very public figures would ever reveal what you're revealing here and sharing your faith and, and everything involved in it and, and the pain that we all go through as human beings. Um, we really appreciate the book. We appreciate you sharing all of this. I know all of us and all our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. It's called The Light Within Me, Ainsley Earhart, co-host of Fox and Friends, an inspirational memoir. And uh, you can get it in bookstores everywhere, Amazon.com, Hannity.com now. Uh, Ainsley, thanks so much for being with us. Good luck on the book tour, and uh, we'll see you tonight on TV. All right, quick break. Right back. We'll continue. All right, that's all the time we have left for tonight. All right, Hannity tonight. 9 Eastern on the Fox News Channel. We're breaking new grounds. Congressman DeSantis, where are the 33,000 emails? We are investigating tonight with Congressman DeSantis, Sarah Carter, Greg Jarrett, Mark Meadows is joining us tonight. Jay Seculo is back. Dan Bongino, Ainsley Earhart, and much more. Oh, don't forget the uh, the state dinner is going on during our show. 9 Eastern, Hannity, Fox News. Uh, thanks for being with us. We'll see you tonight at 9, back here tomorrow. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels 
challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.